0: Welcome back to the Russell Fugia Podcast, Leadership, Legacy, and Love. It's been a long time. I shouldn't have left you. (laughs) Man, it's been a great start to the year, and I've just been busy. And there's so many things going on in, in our country here in the United States, and so many things going on in the world, and to the extent that all of us are Impacted by them and interact with them is always very fascinating and then you're trying of course you know discern how God's moving in the midst of those things and I'm going to get to a few topics that on the top of my mind today, and depending on whenever day I would do this podcast and just haven't really set the time aside to do something, you'd uh probably get a little bit of a different bent, so you know what might be coming is is what I like to call power cast. You know, you might get some more 15 to 20 minute episodes and I've had a few people hit me up in January and said, did I miss an episode? I haven't heard from you in a while. So I've encouraged those people to go over to the good word digital podcast, the good word where we're doing the 10 to 15 minute weekly episodes on more business related topics. So you can always hear my voice there and, and get some of my perspective there and primarily been doing interviews in that space had a great podcast this week it's today's saturday february 9th 2019 did some good interviews in that space uh this week um with uh, mark allen Kennedy, the chairperson of the virginia small business democratic caucus around everything that's going on in virginia and the political scene there and um you know back to our believer again <sighs> And, and I'm someone who ha- has met on a couple of occasions, uh, Mr. Uh, Justin Fairfax, and have grown to admire him, been rooting for him and anticipating um, him running for governor in Virginia. And um, just painful to hear what's been alleged. Um, but it's hard, um, even for someone I know, personally, um, not well, don't have his number, don't know where he lives, right? But I've met and know Um Following along on Facebook and social media, and in the news before all this, um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. It's painful for for everybody. Um, so just keeping him and his family lifted, and um, man, then you got the governor and attorney general who've admitted to wearing blackface. And um, I don't even want to even get into that. I just say I went to Trinity College, as you know, if you've listened to this. And uh, man, there were there were articles. It was an article in the New York Times, like in the mid two thousands, which is after I graduated, about kids running around on that on my alma mater's campus during Halloween wearing blackface. So there's still a gap. And the word I always use is very. It's fascinating, um, you know, for my white brothers and sisters. It's fascinating. Um, the ignorance, the lack of knowledge, is fascinating. I've had to talk to a few people. Um, (laughs) who I know and love around uh, the movie Green Book, which is a whitewash story about a musical artist whose name escapes me and his white driver. And the white driver's son apparently has told the movie and the story's now been whitewashed. And it's just a lot of love and patience. And what someone has quickened to me, and I've been accused of, well, you should just shock them into the truth and the revelation of how whitewashed the story is. But someone who's a little more of a seasoned believer, Christian said, well, Russell, you're excellent at applying grace. And, uh, yeah, I could confront everybody. (laughs) And some people have said, yeah, you know, it's a whitewashed story. No, I haven't seen the movie. If it ever came on TV and I wasn't doing anything, maybe I'd watch it. But I'm not lined up at the theater to go see it. I know it's winning awards and everybody says it's a feel-good story. But when you understand the story's been whitewashed and it's not accurate, as someone whose favorite subject in grade school was social studies and history, it was a political science major, which is in part a historical lesson, understanding how our democracy works. And came to be with a focus on American government. It's hard to, to hear uh, to, know, to go see a movie and know that, you know, it's based on a true story. But whose true story is it based on? Right. So um, I still like to live in a world uh, that uh, addresses facts, even if the facts don't make us uh, comfortable or joyous or pleasant or entertained. Right. So anyway. Didn't want to get into uh, to all of that, but man, um, like I said, there's so many things uh, going on. I've wanted to shift this platform to having guests, and I'm saying I'm probably going to have to bring the 15 to 20 minutes because it seems like people actually enjoy hearing a few of my thoughts and what I'm thinking on and, and, and working on and praying on in my life and in my family's life and in my sphere of, of, of living, right? And then, you know, I, I have some wonderful people who I really want to have on here. And have some in-depth conversations and I haven't even extended the invitations, but I have a list. So if you're listening, you may be on the list. And if you want to be on the list, hit me up. Um, You know, I'm doing the good word digital podcast, which is like, you know, 10 minutes, you know, quick and dirty, two or three questions. Give me your thoughts on a business topic. We're getting out. But in this space, this is going to be 30 to 60 minutes uh, in depth. I have an interview I did with a business leader with with a a really amazing story. Um, I might put that you know, content in a couple places, but I got to clean the audio up. The next episode you're going to get in this space is going to be my talk at UMBC. I finally have the audio. Um, I have to do, I think, um, a couple things, which shouldn't take long to do it, to get it so that it will be of somewhat of a good quality here for this podcast. It'll be about 45 minutes. It's a speech I gave on October 17th, of 2018. Um, it was really in effect will tell my story. If you, Aren't subscribing? There's two other podcasts I want to promote real quick. One is my brother in law, Noah Kay's What If podcast. I was a guest on that show a month ago and we talked about entrepreneurship and got a lot of feedback that people really love that. Um, my brother in law's network is global and people from around the world, one person in particular, um, reached out to him directly and was really um, encouraged by that episode. So Check that out. It's the What If podcast by Noah Kay and there's an episode on entrepreneurship. But if you want to get some deep Christian thought, contemporary Christian thought that pushes the envelope, right, that's my brother-in-law. And we him and I jive, I think, 99. percent. I don't think may not even be a one percent. I'm just leaving some gap because we're different people. Right. But we're pretty in sync on a lot of the issues um, we discuss and the thematic, the themes. And the challenges we have with 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 our faith and how it's, uh, you know, communicated and displayed in our culture and in the church, um, you know, the church being the actual places that people go on Sunday mornings. Um, and, and then the other podcast is someone who I've never met, but I've interacted with briefly, um, uh, Faith Cole and her husband, Nathaniel Cole, um, they have the These Three Remain podcast, which just launched. So I think there are three episodes in each episode's 20 minutes. And of course, these three remain faith, hope, love. So I think the new episode either came out yesterday, the 8th of February, or it's coming out the 15th love, which as I think about it, Valentine's day love. I don't know if they planned that, but they're pretty brilliant either way. <laughs> Sometimes God is, you know, does things. So those are two I would check out. Um, subscribe to the RussellFugit.com to my newsletter. You can go to RussellFugit.com and get the email. And I'm going to be blogging on a couple of things um, that will somewhat jive with the podcast from time to time, including today. So anyway, um I'm already about eight minutes in. This won't be a very long episode, but let me give you a couple things that have hit me and of course, the last episode I got into talking about fatherhood, and you know I've had some interesting thoughts and in, about that, and I can't remember everything I've said in my other episodes, but you know have have certainly you know had challenges. Of course, um you know being becoming a father is always challenging, right? You know, I've had challenges with my own relationship with my own father from time to time, which is also it' you know, been enlightening, and of course, you have to reflect on like okay, I'm an adult, what's my role right? How can I do better because that's all I can control right um, but nothing's ever perfect in any relationship and um it's just been fascinating to me and of course, I'm a fan of uh, the national Basketball Association the n b a and um you know, you had uh, Anthony Davis's father coming out and making a statement that his son would never play for the Celtics because of how they treated um, Kyra, uh, No, Isaiah Thomas when he injured his hip. You know, Isaiah Thomas, um, so as those of you who are basketball fans would know, would know but those of you who aren't, would not know, was on his way to probably getting a $100 million contract. He had a hip injury. He tried to play through it. They got to the playoffs. Close to a championship. He couldn't play through. He was no longer effective. And Isaiah Thomas is like five foot seven. Like he's a little a little guy. He's probably one of the best little men, at least for a period of time in the league to ever play. He was a a most valuable player candidate before he got injured. Um, And now he's really not been able to really come back to play much in the year and a half since this injury. Um, He's bounced around to his couple few teams now, three teams now. Um, it's supposed to be get on, getting on the court soon. But anyway, Anthony Davis's father came out and made a statement. Apparently, his, Anthony Davis was not happy his father made that statement, right? And then, you know, you have Ky- uh, Kyrie Irving, another popular player, and his father. And, you know, what role his father plays in his career has always been challenged and questioned, right? Um, and, and, you know, Kyrie played at, at Madison Square Garden. His father came out of the stands and hugged him because Kyrie's from northern New Jersey. So people want to say that, you know, oh, Kyrie's, uh, you know, this whole thing was put on for show. You know, his father coming out of the stands, his family being there and blah, 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 blah. You know, so it's just, you know, I think like I'm forgetting. Oh, and of course, man, I had to watch the Super Bowl. <laughs> we all, I think, know what happened. The Patriots and Tom Brady, Bill Belichick and that crew won their sixth championship. And 18 years or whatever it is which is absurd and i'm turning the tv on and i'm watching espn and just trying to get the scuttlebutt and hear what everybody has to think about the game which is something i enjoy doing and i've kind of my father's been in that world and i kind of interacted with it from time to time in terms of the sports talk landscape on tv and radio i've met some of the people um who are on air on various networks um and it's certainly a career path i've sometimes wondered if I had gone in that direction right having had an internship at 17 years old 18 years old had my own radio show in college if I had gone that direction right um but that's another topic for another day um and then Tom Brady Sr. is being interviewed from his hotel room in Atlanta where the Super Bowl was played the morning after the game and they're like giving him a long-form interview like you know and I'm like, man, so the fact that his son has won six Super Bowls gives his father a platform. I don't know much about his father or what he does or who he is, right? Um, but I've never seen him on TV before talking about talking about it. So it's like, man, they're interviewing his dad. Like, I feel like I've never seen that. Like, when you know, Cam Newton, no, they didn't win. Well, let's say Russell Wilson. I mean, I think his father's passed well, I'm trying to find an example, right? Um, Drew Brees. I don't know if I ever saw his dad. I'm not trying to make it a race thing, by the way. Um, <laughs> I've just never seen anyone, you know, even Peyton Manning's dad. People know him. I guess maybe he was on TV, but Peyton Manning's dad played in the NFL, so that kind of would make sense. But I was just like fascinated. Not, It's not a negative thing. I was just like, man, like Tom Brady Sr. gets an audience like so I just was so fascinated in the sports landscape to see, um, you know, this whole thing about fathers. And I'm just like thinking about it. And I still wonder, you know, my father has talked to me recently about how he wants to see me be more successful. And he feels that, you know, um, the one thing he's, one of the things he still wants to accomplish in life is to see me be in a better position. And that is, um, a humbling and, and, and loving statement in one sense the other sense is like man I guess I haven't done enough yet that he feels that I'm in a good enough position so then what maybe what have I messed up right I, I might use another word than messed up but I put this podcast on Apple podcast and I said the content was going to be clean and I want this to be a family program but you get my point so I'm like, man like you know what haven't I done I got a house um, my bills paid um, my kids are doing pretty good my wife you know, we'll be four years coming up and she hasn't kicked me out yet. I'll let you know if I make it to four years or five, um, you know, one day at a time. My grandfather always said, by the way, when, you know, I would call him and he was married for over 60 years until he passed away. Um, he said, yeah, the, you know, the first, let's say it was the 58th wedding anniversary. And he always said, yeah, the first 57 years were the hardest. So that was always a laugh line, but always at the last year was the best, right? And so it's like you live in the moment I took from that. He never said that. He never elaborated. He wasn't someone who was a very elaborative person, at least not with me. But I, as I thought about him saying that year after year to me when I would call to congratulate them on this their next milestone anniversary, especially once they got beyond 50, which they got. I think they may even gotten to 65, I have to ask. But they were married for a very long time. I would think about that. Like, yeah, the the first 57 years were hard, but the 58th year was the, you know, was the, was great, or the last year, right, was the, was great, or the easiest, or the best, right, and it's almost like you put those other years behind, in the rearview mirror, both good and bad, right, you try to be even keel, and that really described my grandfather in an amazing way, like, just so even keel, you know, um, at least my experience. I've heard stories, right? When he was younger, and my and my and my dad, my uncles and aunts were younger. And my dad's one of six. See, I can only imagine. I grew up with two, and I've lost my temper with with my two little girls. You know, <laughs> not not, not in a bad way, but I can understand. And I can only imagine having six uh, kids <laughs> in West Baltimore in the fifties and the sixties. Man, <laughs> so. Um so this whole thing around fatherhood and I just still uh, think about it um as I'm you know coming towards the end of my uh you know, in my fifth year as a father and 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 the other young people who I've had the chance to mentor, I wouldn't say uh be a, a father to yet. I don't think I'm quite old enough to mentor anyone and be that in that regard regarded that way yet. Maybe that time will come soon. But just been thinking about it, it's just fascinating to hear. These public proclamations and people want to attack Kyrie Irving's father and Anthony Davis's father, but understanding the desire for their son for their for them, for their sons. Right. I don't have a son, but I can feel I can imagine it's not any different. It won't be much different, if different at all for my daughters when they're adults. Right. To still having a strong opinion and care and not going to be ashamed of voicing it and expressing it and doing what the heck I want, because that's my daughter that's my son (laughs) you know so then of course you got to step back as i always do and say okay wow like i understand again i see god the father right i I get it right you know and i (laughs) that's mine so i don't care what you think i don't care what you think and sometimes in this world we're out here you know we pray we go to work we live our lives and we're trying to do things that we feel the father would have us do but then we worry about other people's opinions you know or even we're not happy with what our father in heaven, maybe even on earth too, you know, asked us to do or told us to do. So, this father relationship, right? Father, son, father, daughter, right? I just was struck by that. And that's a, like a really random pattern. And maybe I just have paid too much attention to sports lately. But still, it's just fascinating to hear these very high profile individuals and see. You know their father, and of course, in Brady's father's example, man, like his his father now has been elevated because of the success of his son, and I'm sure Kyrie's father and, and Anthony Davis's father, to an extent, will feel the same way. And um, you know, it's just, it's it's fascinating. Like who would, you know, who would care, you know, if my father was quoted about something about me? No one's going to talk about it again. <laughs> because <laughs> 'cause I'm not, you know, Anthony Davis trying to get from New Orleans to Los Angeles to win a championship with LeBron, right? So it's just different. Um, but it's still fascinating and, and there's this ongoing enlightenment that at least is occurring for me around fatherhood. And so I just wanted to share that. It's been on my mind and, and I didn't want to let February in. Um the last thing I want to share and I don't really have a whole lot I can say about it because I still don't have a lot of detail, which is like, all right, God, like, you know, I've emailed, you know, to do, and I'm waiting to hear back <laughs> on like the the bolted on specifics. But I've gotten um, invited to be part of a a delegation of Americans, about five or six of us, what I gather, who are going to travel um, at the end of this month uh, to South Africa. Um, to do a couple of things. First, we're going to attend a venture capital and private equity conference, the Southern Africa venture capital and private private equity conference in Cape Town, at a, a fancy winery in Cape Town, as a matter of fact, right? Um, and then from there, we're going to be spending time, I think, in Durban, if I'm not mistaken, for about four or five days, working with like business leaders, people from the University of Western Cape, um, and Uh, People from the U.S. Embassy around uh, tech transfer, startups, angel investment, venture capital investment um, and and new business uh, incubation um, with the idea of creating jobs as there's a major unemployment problem in the economy. And there's just so much going on right now in kind of in my universe and in my purview um, in, in Maryland, at least that I'm aware of in Maryland where I live. Around opportunity zones, and then around the whole um, mixed-use retail model, as it relates to you know, real estate, um, but you know, in a, but real estate in distressed or underserved communities, which tend to be black and brown, at least in urban centers, uh, but also in rural a- America as well. Um, the, the racial makeup, I'm sure, is different, um, but the, the new tax law created these opportunity zones where, where there can be significant investment um, at, in a new tax advantage uh, class um, when the idea was that in these certain uh, areas that it would in- incentivize investment, <coughs> real estate development, and of course, the model is trying to create real estate development that also creates uh, incubation model and works with universities and other organizations and institutions to, you know, be able to t- transfer technology and create new businesses that create jobs, right? Um, and there's a lot of methodology around it and research that says if you're a million-dollar company, you're likely to have like, you know, eight employees. If you're a ten-million-dollar company, you're going to have this many employees. So how do you create, you know, companies or a series of companies that can scale in one place? And then in doing so, uplift the community because you have all these people who are trained and have the skills needed to work for these companies. And then those, you know, people are able to then improve the lifestyle of their of themselves and uplift their families, hopefully in place, right, in that same community. And therefore, you know, you have a bit higher tax base. You have um, the need for, you know, gro- you know, grocery stores and dry cleaners and other ancillary businesses pop up to service the economy that's created and, and um so that's the model that you've kind of seen play out in recent years. And I'm not, I'm not saying I'm completely sure that the model as it's currently been implemented, it, it works um, for everyone. But I am, you know, curious to see. Um, I think everybody's, I feel like everybody's always looking for the next moonshot. You know, who's the next Facebook? You know, why don't we have a black, why don't we have a black Mark Zuckerberg? <laughs> and I think the answers to these questions are somewhat obvious to me. Um, but I feel like that's not the point. Um, it's not to have the next um, the next black mark, Zuckerberg, but really about how do you shift the economy to create um, you know opportunities And there's a lot of interesting conversation down the street in Washington around how you do that and of course the private sector and the university system because for those of you who don't know, there's tons of intellectual property at these universities. Um, and like Stanford has like been the one that always kills it in terms of how much of their intellectual property actually gets commercialized. But Maryland's done pretty good as a university. But other um, institutions have not done as well. Harvard, MIT, I think also do very well, of course, where you have this intellectual property that's been created in the academy um, as a result of the research that academics are required to do, um, especially in the science, technology, engineering fields. But then you don't have the capital and the entrepreneurial uh, expertise to take that intellectual property and make it into a commercial product. And as someone who's actually um, licensed IP out of a university in the past. I can tell you, I've never told that story <laughs> because it, we didn't get anywhere. Um, it's very hard. <laughs> I'll just tell you, it's very, it's very, getting, that, getting the IP was not hard. And I actually didn't even go through a formal channel to get it, which is the. And that's the crazy thing. There was no process or mechanism to get the IP. And so we just had to, you know, forge ahead. And, you know, when things didn't work out, there was no body saying hey there's a better deal or here's five other you know pieces of ip that could be better or, or more lower hanging fruit it's like you no know, no one cared it, it just <laughs> it just completely happened in a vacuum you know so i lost money lost time and, and it kind of was what it was you know i just went totally you know was able to do it cuz i have relationships um and we had some exp- expertise but we couldn't overcome um if, you know some of the obstacles right um so i get it so anyway i'm going to south africa um, you know, my my friend who invited me, my my former business associate and still friend, <laughs> who invited me is just coming back. And I should be getting the details. So, you know, go to the website, follow along on social media. You know, Instagram and Facebook um, will probably be the main places. At Russell Fugit, subscribe to the newsletter. Um, and man, just just stay tuned. And I'm um, gonna be bringing a few episodes probably the next two months. You're probably gonna get two or three episodes. Certainly one on South Africa. I'm working on seeing if I can get a good interview subject to do something relevant for, um, you know, Black History Month, which will be exciting. And, um, you know, also have my UNBC speech, which I want to share next um, while I'm gone. And that could be a little bit of black history. because I do talk about my family background and my uncle and some other topics. So yeah, I mean, it could be great. So thank you for listening to this show and just stay tuned. Um, be encouraged um there's so much going on i look forward to sharing even more of it in the days ahead god bless you subscribe share follow along and i'll be back in this space very soon god bless